Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're back with another Ask Us Anything episode. Yay! Thank you, Michael Ryan. Yeah, so it's just one question this time around, but I think it's going to be kind of meaty. We shall see. Uh, And Michael wasn't able to send an audio, so I'm going to read it. But before I do, I want to remind you, dear listener, uh, that if you've got a question for us, it would be great uh, if you could record uh, an MP3, some sort of audio, or even in, like if you just use your video on your camera and uh, email it to one of us. You can find our contact information in the show notes, uh, and we would love to answer it on the show. Yeah. All right. This is from Mike Ryan, and he says, Rochelle and Jonathan, here's one for you. How do you help a client with a no-brainer when they just aren't seeing it? Wrapped up a two-week discovery project for 20K and identified a huge number of opportunities to improve the current state. Biggest one centers on throughput, getting enough product out the door to meet customer demand. Created a proposal per their request around improving the current state. The gist is, one, they can't find people to work. Two, if they can't ship product, their customers will go somewhere else to get it. The basis for the no-brainer is... Adding temporary labor will increase their costs by 51k per month for six months. Investing in a process change will be 35k per month for four months and create a sustainable solution and mitigate the need for temp labor for years to come. My 16-year-old daughter said it best with, isn't $35,000 less than (laughs) $51,000? I don't get it. For what it's worth, this client is a $60 million revenue business, and no matter what approach I took to explain value, incremental revenue, improved profit margins, they just don't get the concept of value. Thank you, Mike. All right. Well, (laughs) first, let's give a shout out to his 16-year-old daughter. She's got the Uh, math. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, All right. So uh, I've got at least four different reactions to this. so I guess we could just dive in anywhere. Oh, well, this will be interesting because I have three. Okay. Let's so see let's, how many. Yeah, let's see where we overlap. All right. Yeah. So, so my first thing is that they just don't believe it. So they either don't trust Mike or they don't trust the process or they just fundamentally don't believe that his what he's proposing would work for them. It might work for someone else, but they might believe that it will not work for them. Therefore, the 35000 a month for four months would do nothing for them because uh, they just don't believe it's going to work. Yeah. So trust. I mean, that was one mm-hmm. of my, my yeah, exactly. Trust. trust. And it doesn't have to be trust in Mike. It's trust in the process, um, trust in um, the materials that he put together to convince them of this. Mm-hmm. It's trust. Big yeah. picture trust. Right. So that would be, whether it's the case here or not, it is certainly something that would cause someone to, to uh, not pick the no-brainer. Uh, the next one I had was uh, just straight up fear of change, where the, it's the, there's a perceived risk. It feels scary or um, distasteful. I mean, people just don't like change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's obvious. <laughs> like anyone listening to this, you know, there's something in your life that you wouldn't want to change, even though you know you should. So it could just be that they're like, well, uh, we we don't want to go through that period of chaos, go through that project, that collaboration, they would surely be involved with it uh, when they can just slap a Band-Aid on it for really not much more money. Um, They can slap a Band-Aid on it that they know will work. They've probably used it before. They've done it in the past and it's not complicated. They just, they just put a Band-Aid on it. And, uh, and then when demand goes down, which perhaps they think demand is going to go down, 
then they can just get rid of the temp staff or it will buy them time to hire more people and keep doing the substandard process. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that concept. I'm debating whether that's the same or different from what I was thinking about that ties sort of um, crosses over. It, really, I had a question about this for Mike, was, which is, has he questioned them more deeply about this resistance versus trying to convince them that his way is right? To- yeah, I was... That was going to be my summary yeah. of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's could be fear of change. It could also be fear of what I don't know. That there's something in this process that is going to um, be very uncomfortable. That it, that is going to be out of my control. So in those kinds of situations, I love to just step back and just decide, okay, forget what I think is right. Let's just try to get to the bottom of what this fear is about. And I, I wouldn't call it fear because you don't know at that point if it is fear, you're suspecting it might be. Um, mm-hmm. But by asking them some of those questions, you may be able to uncover something that isn't on the surface. Yep. And my, my next one was kind of a blend of the first two, but I do think it's it's certainly discreet in this in terms of how they would talk about it. So if you did go through that that questioning process with the client to understand why they're not doing what seems like the obvious choice, um, there's a, a risk of failure. So this is sort of a combination. It's it's not the same thing as fear of change. It's not the same thing as that they don't trust the 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 seller or the solution. It's that maybe they do trust them and they're not afraid of change, but they recognize that it could fail. Mm-hmm. where hiring temp staff's not going to fail. Like that's just, you know, if we just assume that they've got whatever the Band-Aid is, let's just assume it's very straightforward. It doesn't have a lot of moving parts. It doesn't require any change. The existing process, uh, they can slot the temporary people into the existing process. It's simple. It's not complex. Uh, maybe they've had these kinds of engagements in the past and four months stretched into 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they've, you know, it happens. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe... Um, and then at the end, it didn't work. You know, it didn't, it didn't. So it's a combination of like, uh, I mean, trust and fear and risk, they all kind of revolve around each other, but they might, they might trust you and they might not fear change, but they just like, but this is not guaranteed. There's a risk component here right. that is not, not um, kind of encapsulated in, it's not, it's not apples and oranges. There's a lot of different things between the two options besides just the amount of money they would spend. Yeah, I like that risk of failure because I think we we ignore risk uh, at our peril. And and these folks have presumably, it's not their first rodeo. But one of the things that would be interesting to know is, did they implement any of his other recommendations? You know, it sounds like um, Mike felt like this was the slam dunk, but it sounds like there were many others. So that would sort of be interesting. Did they do any of the other things that he'd recommended? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see, what did I have next? Time to value or urgency. So let's say that uh, Mike's process is going to take four months, but it doesn't produce any value until the end of the four months. It doesn't help them. In other words, like the maybe they have to go through this whole process for it to really start to pay off. So there's this time delay where they have to be patient and and they might be feeling like, no, we're going to lose too many customers in that time period you know, to, to fix things up so they work smoothly now and forever, it'll be too late. We'll already have lost too many mm. customers and we can start adding temp labor tomorrow. So the urgency might be such that they don't feel comfortable waiting for a process that's going to unfold over, you know, the course of 
you know, four months or longer if it takes longer than expected. Again, not saying that's the case in, in Mike's situation. I don't know because I don't know how quickly they could add temp labor or how quickly they'd start to get value out of what he's planning to do. But uh, it certainly could be a consideration uh, for someone to pick what appears to be a more expensive option. Yeah, you know, I had that embedded in my third one, which is what other you know, areas within the organization might be driving this. Let's just give an example. Let's say HR. HR mm-hmm. wants to hire people versus changing a process. Right. Or um, the guy who is recruiting all this is somebody's brother-in-law, right? I mean, it, it could <laughs> Yeah, totally. It, it totally. happens. It totally, it totally happens. happens. And, and timing was in there too, because I don't know if there's seasonality to this, if there is an urgency around their product. And I don't want to insert all these variables. Poor Mike is sitting here listening going, what? Um, But we just don't know the answers to those and those are possible. And then the other piece is, and it is a $60 million company, so it's not a giant organization, but I wondered about budgets. could somebody like like maybe the budget for this comes out of one box, but the earnings for this come out of another box mm-hmm. so that the person who's making the decision doesn't reap any of the benefits and they're yep. just not interested in putting their head on the chopping block for something that's not going to move their needle, Personal even needle. though it's good. Yeah. Even though it's good for the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah that's really good where the budget would be coming from. Yeah, it's the thing is, we, you know, we forget that organizations aren't just processes, they're people. And people have all kinds of, you know, what to us may look weird, but to them may look perfectly logical. Well, of course, I'm not going to do that because that's going to help Joe's budget over there. And it's not going to, the cost is all going to come out of mine. And I don't <laughs> care enough about this to try to negotiate, you know, it might go away. No, we're not right. going to do this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's going to make my numbers look bad and, and the next guy's own numbers look good. Yeah. And it's, it, you can't always tell by the size of the organization. If, if you can learn something about how they budget, uh, sometimes that'll, that'll help give you a clue on how to, how to present this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the kind of related to that one, uh, which is sort of like uh, in the buyer's best interest, even though it's not in the company's best interest, it'd be just straight up short term thinking. So the company might be, or the the person making the decision uh, might be incentivized for, let's say, Wall Street reasons to bump the numbers for the quarter instead of thinking about long-term investments and having to weather a dip, whether they, you know, it's probably Mm -hmm. not a public, it's certainly not a public company, but uh, they might have a board of directors that they'd have to sell this concept to. They haven't got the political capital to do it. Uh, Maybe the person who's making the decision is new. And hasn't got the, I guess now I'm going to a different area, but, but um, if the person who needs to make the decision doesn't have the political capital to convince uh, the board, let's say, then it's DOA. Uh, but what I really, what I was really picturing was kind of the opposite when I first started on this one, which is that the person making the decision is getting ready to retire and it's not going to be their problem in three years and they're not going to reap the benefits similar to your other your other point about different budgets. Uh, but this one, I have definitely seen this one in corporate America where uh, <laughs> retire in place. Yeah. And especially, yeah. especially in credit unions, it was like, not my problem. Like I'm not going to make a 10 year investment. I'm going to be re- retired in six months. So I'm going to do something easy to get over the hump, get out of here. And then it's somebody else can deal with it. 
Well, and it's I think it's even worse in publicly held companies because as um, the last time I worked inside a publicly held company, my boss explained it to me. I think it was on my first day. And he said, if you meet your budget numbers, meaning income and revenue, uh, or you exceed them, you will be a hero. If you miss them by one dollar, you are nobody. <laughs> you are bad. And I mean, he was he was being facetious, but it really was true because Wall Street looked at those numbers. And if my uh, business unit didn't deliver our numbers, it impacted the total number. Boom, you're dead. No bonus. Um, you, and you hope maybe somebody won't talk to you for a while instead, <laughs> instead of just like screaming at the top of their lungs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what we're uncovering here is that there's an entire like a, a rat's nest of personal, interpersonal motivations that could be happening here. I mean, another one that I've come across is, um, you know, like, like you're talking to the, maybe even the owner and, and the, the thing that you're proposing is going to affect a key employee oh, who, yeah. who in, my, in my story, her name is actually Karen. <laughs> and it was like, this is the owner of the company being like, Karen's never going to go for this. And I'd be like, but you're the owner. And he'd be like, yeah, but Karen's never going to go for this. I've like, I, we need to figure out how, a way to sell this to Karen. Yeah. Cause I need Karen. Cause I need Karen. <laughs> yeah. And she's the one that is going to, the brunt of this is going to fall on her and she's already overworked. Like she's a critical piece of the organization, which you could argue is like a different problem. You shouldn't be that dependent on a single employee. And, and perhaps even this system that Mike would create would solve that problem, but you still got to get over the hump. Yeah. So like, how do you, how do you get over that hump? How do you convince Karen? But, you know, it, it might be worth, it might be worth to the owner. It might be worth, nah, I'll just spend an extra whatever it was, you know, 16 grand a month for a couple extra months to not have to upset the apple cart with Karen or a department or uh, a partner or whatever. But there's, there's yeah. loads of interpersonal, because $15,000 a month isn't, it's not nothing, but it's pretty close to nothing. So with that size budget. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, if you're talking about the difference between 35 and 51 and, you know, and we're guessing six months versus four months, it's really not that different. So if I'm going to have to go out on a political campaign inside of my company to convince my the board, my partners, my employees, and like, let's go, we're going to do something brand new and everyone's going to love it eventually. And maybe I'll just spend an extra 15 grand a month. <laughs> You know, and just not yeah. and just be able to leave at five. Yeah. Well, and the, and the piece I wanted to pull out of there, your Karen example is and it, it. Certainly, it's more common in smaller organizations, but a lot of these organizations have a Karen, somebody who not just who is running a department, but it might be the person who is the administrative lead for the whole organization, like a COO type or COA type. Mm -hmm. And the owner is petrified that that person is going to leave. And what happens yeah. is I've seen it so many times is over time that can really degrade into a really bad situation, but it, sure. it can fuel owner's decision-making in a way that's, you know, doesn't always look logical to the outside. Yes, exactly. And there's another one. It's probably should have been the first one uh, because it's probably the most common uh, well, geez, I don't know. It, it is definitely very common because it happens on every single project, every single one, is that the money is only part of the investment. There's also a time investment for any project. 
So something like this, a big organizational change. Is that what he said? I think it, it must be. It must be. It's going to be a big organizational change. That is going to require loads of time for his employees. So maybe, maybe, and perhaps the buyer, who knows, but they're going to be meetings, meetings and meetings on top of whatever their regular job is. And it sounds like they're at capacity. So the idea of adding work on top of the regular work in order to eventually have things uh, be better, like they don't, they just don't feel like they can survive that tsunami of 60 hour weeks for whoever would be involved and come out the other side without fresh problems like, like employee churn or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, decreased morale or um, there's just lots of moving parts here. There's, there's a huge difference between saying, hey, let's do this organizational change project for the next four months, hopefully, uh, maybe longer, uh, or we could just hire some temp labor. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so dramatically different calculus. Well, it's interesting. I wonder if COVID had anything to do with it because, you know, my sense is a lot of people are just the thought of dealing with institutional change after the year we've all been through is feels mm-hmm. exhausting. I, I, it's possible that it's, and it might be subtle that people might not even realize it, but it just might be too high a hurdle. Mm-hmm. Whereas if that hadn't happened, maybe it would have been easier. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the big picture here is that the money's just not, is not the only thing by a long shot. It's not the only thing they're calculating. The, the time is a big one. The risk is a big one. Uh, fear of change convincing the entire organization to do something new trust yeah trust all of these all all of these things go into it and the money is you know probably for a company like this the money is not that big a deal it's probably not the biggest consideration so uh, to get to the point we touched on earlier at the end sort of like was a needle needle off the record needle scratch for me at the end they don't get the concept of value i'm like ah it's the wrong conversation like they they understand that, that it's less money. What, what, pro, you know, if somebody doesn't get something, it's probably that uh, the seller doesn't get that there are other things involved besides the money. Well, that's to me, that's the whole theme of this is that don't rely on your logic, right? Because mm-hmm. our logic doesn't matter. We can try and teach our logic, try and have a client get our logic, but ultimately it really doesn't matter. It's how they look at it, it's their their perception of the situation that is going to make the decision. Right. So the approach it isn't to, to try and convince them that 35000 is less than fifty one. They know that. They get that. The approach is, why would you want to spend more money and find out which one of these seven things that we've listed or you know whatever the list is, which one of the things is the real blocker? And yeah. maybe there's a way you could address that. Maybe not. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But that would be the approach. And I had a, my, my last boss, Chris, who was like the Buddha, <laughs> he had like all of these awesome lines and all these great perspectives, like a philosopher. And he once said, I, I was, I was having, I was Mike in the situation. I was like, well, how come the, like, why would this company not just do this? It's crazy. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> and he's like, whenever you go into an organization and it appears that they're doing something crazy, it means you don't have all the information because people aren't stupid. So they're, they're act, they might be acting in their own best interest, their own personal interest. They might be thinking short-term instead of long-term. But if you knew what they know, you would understand and perhaps even do the same thing. And, the way, and he, said if, he said, if you walk in and you see a brick wall floating in midair, 
it's not magic. You just don't understand how they have it up there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like this sort of teetering house of cards scenario that you see in, in so many organizations. It's like so dysfunctional, you can't believe they, they can stay in business. So the metaphor I use for this is like you're running a marathon and your shorts fall down and they're around your ankles and you're like, ah, and you're, you don't want to stop and let people pass you to pick up your shorts and then you can run faster. You're just like, well, I'll just mm. run as fast as I can with my shorts down. <laughs> and almost always when I go inside of an organization or when I had gone into an organization, there's some of that going on somewhere where, where there's some, some core inefficiency, but people can turn some other knob or dial up some other lever to try and compensate for it. And, and for people who do productivity systems and, and build, you know, workflow software and like to streamline things, this makes your head want to explode. It's like, why don't you just fix the core problem and, whatever is as nuts as you think it might be they have a reason you might disagree with it but it certainly helps to know what the reason is so i would i would argue that that mike's approach of talking about uh focusing on the money and the long-term payoff was never going to get anywhere because there's some short-term thing or some hidden thing that is the real blocker it's, it's probably not that they didn't understand that it would be better in the long run. It's that they didn't care that it would be better <laughs> in the long run. And Bingo. So, so the trick is to find out what they do care about and see if there's a way to thread the needle. You know, exactly. maybe it, yeah. So for in my Karen example, it was like, all right, well, if I can convince Karen that this is going to make her life better immediately, immediately make her life better. Would that help? Like, oh, yeah, but that seems impossible. And I was like, well, it'll probably take longer for me to set it up that way. You know, we'll, the way that we build the system could be could be done in a more efficient way, but I can do it in a less less efficient way that's more piecemeal that will start with improving Karen's day to day and then and then have her become an ally of the project. And then once everyone sees that Karen's convinced, then everyone else will mm-hmm. be like, well, if Karen's convinced, then we are. So you can work around it. Yeah, that's the joy of consulting, right? Because every single project, when you're working on anything that isn't just um, in a bubble, it, it's going to touch other areas of the organization. It's going to impact people. And, and our job as consultants is to ferret that out and figure it out and then try to still work our magic for them in a very transparent way. This is not about being manipulative. It's none of that. It's just, it's really kind of digging in to their situation and trying to understand what their life is like mm-hmm. inside this organization. Right. Things are way more complex than balance sheets. It's, it's nice to be able to say, oh, you know, this is going to increase revenue long-term. This investment is going to whatever, increase profits, market share, a, a number of, of, uh, uh, decreased number of customer complaints. There's a million, like all of that stuff's great. Um, and it, it looks good on paper and sometimes it's enough. It's plenty. But if there are these other, other blockers, these hidden emotional blockers, then those, the data is never going to overcome the desire to not take what seems like a better option. Yeah. We're, we're humans and we're ruled by our emotions and our perceptions Mm. versus data. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
The data supports the decision after it's been made. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so the good news for Mike is you've got the data to support this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm not going to call it the bad news. I just think it's the realities of consulting. So the reality is you, know, you need to go back and, and see if you can uncover the why yeah. behind this. Yeah. And your daughter gave you the line. <laughs> exactly. You say, Future wait a consultant. Second. Right. Isn't 35 <laughs> less than 51? I don't get it. Can you help me understand? And they'll yeah. say, yeah, we just got to, we don't want to convince the board or we haven't got the time. Our employees would have to spend untold hours on this over the course of the next four to six months. And they're, they're already at capacity. I don't want to put them through that. Whatever the thing is, and maybe you can't overcome it, but maybe you can and, and get the deal through. Yeah. And even if you can't overcome it, if this is a, a client you want to work with again, I mean, it, it, maybe it's timing. Maybe they just can't do it now, but they want to do it in six months. Not as a way to dismiss you, but really want to do it in six months. Yeah, great point, right? Like maybe they spend uh, the 51 per month for temp employees to get through the busy period. And then they'll have time, you know, maybe in whatever, the winter, the slow slow period of year, uh, they'd have time to actually fix this once and for all, which is what you and I and everyone always wants to do. You always want to do the most valuable kind of permanent fix, if you will. Nobody likes putting Band-Aids on stuff, but sometimes a Band-Aid is the right thing for the situation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm comparing it to having my air conditioning fixed at the moment. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> do, do I want to put a Band-Aid on, which is, you know, pouring some more Freon into the system, or do I want to belly up to the bar and, and spend thousands of dollars on a new system? That will take how long to install? Three months, right? The summer's going to be over. So, right, that's a perfect metaphor. It's like, just fix it for now. And when it's cooler, then we don't need it on, then you can spend three weeks installing the thing or three months or however long it would take. Yeah, that's a great example. It's actually a day. So I'm even worse than Mike's client. It's a day, but I'm like... To install a whole new system? Well, it's the it's the uh, thing that goes up on the roof. The, um, I forget what they call it, but it's the, the mechanical piece of it. They don't have to uh-huh. like change... Um, wires and you know move stuff around inside the, mm. the ducts and stuff all stay the same it's just the mm. power anyway so, so, I'm, so I'm, look, that's my point is that we're all different if i were mike's client i'd be like nope can't be done in a day no nope, we're not going to do that one <laughs> right yeah i mean it's like the doctor matter you know you go into the doctor doc can you give me something for this cough and it's like well you should stop smoking three packs a day that's that's why that's that's the solution yeah but i'm not going to do that so could you just give me something you know, the doctor doesn't want to give you those pills, the cough medicine. They want you just to quit smoking. But if you're not going to do that, then at least the cough medicine will, just, you know, be some sort of remedy. So it's it perhaps at some point, Mike will have a conversation with the client and find out what the real blocker was uh, and could let us know. That'd be interesting yeah, to know. I'd be really curious for the outcome. Yeah. But thanks for sending it in. And like I said before, dear listener, if you have a question for us, jump over to the show notes to get our email address and send us a voice recording and we can answer your question on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for a much cooler version of The Business of Authority. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye.